Hey, what's up, guys? Hope that you all had a very, very Merry Christmas. Um, just coming on here doing an impromptu video real quick while I have a few minutes. I wanted to review these last two cards of the year. Uh, 2023, uh, just give my thoughts on the year in general. Fighter of the year, pound for pound, all of that. You know, uh, this has been an, an entertaining, interesting year in boxing in a lot of different ways. There have been a lot of storylines. It's It's been dramatic. And not just from things we saw in the ring, but th from things outside the ring, like from the business standpoint of things. Um, and then even like on social media and stuff like that. So I'll get my thoughts on all this stuff. But I mean, we ended this year with a bang, man. We had two really entertaining, fun events right around the holidays, right around Christmas. And, and like, it worked out great, man. I was really, really happy with both. Uh, so let me start with the the day of reckoning on Saturday, right? And by the way, uh, if I haven't said already, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, I know, I know it's, uh, it's, it's past Christmas, but I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. And obviously I'm wishing each and every one of you a very, very happy, safe, fun, happy new year uh, with, with your families. I hope that you guys are spending some time with your loved ones. Um, for those of you who are not around family right now, pick up that phone and call your mom. Pick up that phone, call your dad. Make sure you do that, okay? If you are with family, then awesome. You might need to have a drink to survive it. <laughs> do what you gotta do. Uh, for, for me, my family uh, just left this morning. They, they were here all weekend long. They got here Friday night and they just took off this morning. So we've had a very, very loud, action-packed house um, at the Montero Manor for the last few days. And now it's suddenly very, very quiet. And I have a few minutes here to talk. Okay. Day of Reckoning, Saturday, uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, put on by His Excellency. You did a wonderful job. It was a really, really fun show. Let me give you guys details on my end. Um, I bought it on ESPN Plus, and it worked out perfectly for me because I wanted to re-up my ESPN Plus anyway to see the Inouye Topolis fight. So I paid my buck fifty, hundred fifty dollars to get my annual subscription renewed at ESPN plus. And then I did an extra what $40 for the pay-per-view. So I spent $190 on boxing Saturday morning worth every freaking penny. Okay. I uh, already feel that I've gotten my money's worth on the investment. And I know that now I have a whole year to, to watch guys like uh, Usyk and, and um, in a way and others fight on ESPN plus. So I'm really happy about it. Anyway, what was really cool, let me talk about the good, the bad, the ugly for this Day of Reckoning thing, okay? And we'll talk about some of the fights, obviously. Um, by the way, guys, I'm not having phones because I'm not going to go that long. So if you have any questions or anything, just jump in the chat. Uh, I'll get to as many as I can, okay? Uh, if you do a super chat, it'll pop up. I'll see it. I'll definitely get to that. Okay. Um, the best part, it started at 11 o'clock a.m. The, the event started at 11 o'clock a.m. here on the East Coast where I live. East Coast time. And that was great. That was great. It was a Saturday afternoon. My, my family had just uh, gotten to the house and people were eating. Uh, There's a lot of food this weekend, <laughs> uh, a lot of food. And they were already, you know, people were eating and kids were running around playing, whatever. But because it was on ESPN Plus, I was able to put it on, put the event on, on a few different uh, devices. So throughout the house, I had it on upstairs, downstairs. I had it on my phone. It was so no matter like, cause I was running outside, cooking things on the grill, 
the air fryer, doing stuff on the deck, cooking, running inside, running around, you know, getting people drinks at the bar downstairs, bringing them upstairs to the kitchen where the women were cooking, like, you know, running around like crazy. Wherever I was at, I was near a device that had the show on, which was really, really cool. And so it starts at 11 a.m. How, how many times do we get boxing on at 11 a.m. on a Saturday? Like, that was really cool. So um, my kids are playing and the house is crazy and I'm watching and I'm cranking up the volume and it starts off with what, what was it? That Frank Sanchez junior five fight and Frank Sanchez, once he let his hands go, it was actually pretty damn fun to watch him. I was like, this dude, this is an interesting heavyweight here. When he lets his hands go, when he feels comfortable, I want to see him in there against like some top 10 dudes. I want to see what he can do. And I hope he has that same mentality when he's in with a guy like that. If he does, then I'm going to want to watch that. So I got started off to, I thought it was a good start to the card. It was entertaining. And the first three or four fights, actually the pace of it was very quick. They, they got the fights going, right? The second half of the card labored. And there were a couple really long delays. There was one delay. I, I can't remember between which fights it was off the top of my head, but it felt like it was like an hour. Maybe it wasn't quite that long, but it felt like that. So the second half of the card, it got a little bit, the pace slowed down and they screwed up a little bit with that. It felt like a top rank card, honestly. But um, other than that, the pace went very, very well. The production was outstanding. And it was just fight after fight after fight after fight. You guys know my complaints about pay-per-view. Normally you're paying $80 and you get four fights. Three of them are dog shit. And then you get the main event. At best, you might get a decent level matchup in the co-main, right? Between two flyweights or something. That's You're paying $80 for a main event. And increasingly, the pay-per-views that we get here in the United States anyway, it's uh, showcase matchups. It's, it's decent fights. But there were several fights on this card that were on the level of like a Benavidez-Andre, you know, that level of fight that has been going to pay-per-view more and more lately right there are several of those fights on this card so the fact that we had like eight nine fights seven eight something like that seven eight nine fights i can't remember exactly and it was a lot of heavyweights and, and for the most part the bouts were entertaining there was only one or two that were really really lackluster most of them were very entertaining albeit very one-sided a lot of them were showcase matchups if we're being honest but it worked because there was enough going on and there were all these different personalities and there were potential builds to, to the winners of the fights. Uh, there were some younger heavyweights that, on there that, you know, we'll be, definitely be seeing for the next few years. There were some older heavyweights that are going to be on their way out if they're not completely finished already. More about that in a minute. But I thought there was just a, enough going on with this card band where I was really, really happy and entertained. So um, Frank Sanchez. Good job. I want to see if he keeps that same energy and that same aggressiveness when he steps it up and fights a top 10 guy. If he does, that's an interesting freaking heavyweight to look at, man. Um, now, am I saying he's a future world champion or anything like that? I'm, I'm not going that far. But he was entertaining to watch when he let his hands go against Junior Fa. Philip Hergovich was in there against Mark DeMori. That was a complete waste of time. That was just a stay busy fight while he waits in line for the winner between um, Fury and Usyk early next year. I will give Hergovich credit. He did what he was supposed to do against an opponent like that, got him out of there in a round. When you're facing someone that you're that much better than, you should get him out of there in a round. It doesn't matter what level of boxing you're at. If you're at the novice level or the championship level, 
if you're in there with a guy that you are that much better than, it should go about a round or so. So he took care of business. And then he said all the right things in the post-fight interview. He called out several fighters. Uh, I like that. You know, so he sounded like a hungry fighter. Let's talk about um, Agit Caballel. Agit Caballel with uh, the upset. I guess in, in hindsight, this shouldn't have been seen as an upset. But going up against an undefeated, massive, massive heavyweight, uh, Arslan back Mahmudov, who if you looked at his resume, and I talked about this in the preview, uh, his, his resume was um, very, very bad, right? He hadn't fought anybody. And this was a big step up in opposition for him. And Caballel took advantage of that and just beat the brakes off the guy. And it was just entertaining to see such a massive man be chopped down by a much smaller man. Um, that's always entertaining to see. And you see that in boxing and other fight sports, other martial arts, uh, quite often. It, muscles and size don't mean dick if you ain't got balance and craft, right? So that was fun, man. That was fun to see that. And you have to feel really good for Kabayel. As far as Makhmudov, um, I don't know where he goes from here. Uh, that guy is going to struggle because when he misses, boy, is he off balance. Uh, he was almost falling down when he would miss. So if you can make that guy miss, it doesn't take a lot to chop him down. And I love that Caballero did it with body shots. That was fun, man. You just don't see that at heavyweight a lot. Daniel Dubois might have been the story of the night, honestly. And I, there was a couple, okay, but I, he might have been the story of the night. Uh, just beating the brakes off of Jarrell Big Baby Miller. So this did several things for us, okay? He, Daniel Dubois, hats off to you, sir. Slow clap. You did the boxing world a great service Saturday night by getting rid of a cheating piece of shit. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. And I'd say it to his face too. Multiple uh, time, multiple drug uh, PEDs cheat, Jarrell Miller, who has talked his way into fights. And, and really it, it was demographics and, and talking and having an O that got him into positions where he could make money. If he if his name was Jarel Akhmadiyev and he was from Kazakhstan, he wouldn't have been offered half the damn offers he got. If he was from Nigeria, if he was from Nicaragua, come on guys, he's from Brooklyn, New York. I'm just you know, look, he got opportunities because of the boxes he checks, and he squandered so many of them. He took his cash out here. A lot of you out there, if you're being honest. A lot of you were picking Miller to win this fight. He outweighed Dubois by 100 pounds. Dubois had been labeled a quitter. Did he, did he give up in some of those fights? Did he mentally check out? Yes. But this is a guy who had a limited amateur career, has had to do a lot of learning on the job, is a young guy. I think he's still in his young 20s, maybe mid-20s by now. And I thought that some of those criticisms were really unfair, dude. Give this guy a chance to prove himself. Give him a chance to show that he can learn on the job. And you saw him do that in this fight with Miller. He um, started tentatively, but cautiously, but he was doing enough things offensively to slow Miller down. And Miller was just a punching bag by the second half of the fight. And yes, some of that is due to Miller just not being very, that great. Um, but he's very experienced. He sparred the Klitschko's for years. He sparred top guys but he almost looked like a sparring partner mentality type of dude in the ring saturday 
a uh, guy who was just kind of happy to be there and get a check. But Dubois beat the fight out of him. Miller was trying to win the fight. Don't get me wrong, especially if you look at the first half, the first few rounds. He was going for it. He was trying to win that fight. And I'll give Miller this much credit. He took an ass whooping and, and didn't go down until the very, very end where he finally got stopped. Um, he took his ass whooping like a man. I'll give him that, okay? He showed some durability and toughness in the fight uh, and some craft. He did some good things in there. But Dubois, you saw his confidence grow as the rounds went on. And then he eventually, uh, I, what I loved about it is going into that 12th round, and I tweeted about this, um, he was up 10 rounds to one. At best, you could give Miller a round. He might have won a round in that fight early on. I mean, if you gave Miller two rounds, you're being generous. That's like sucking his dick basically at that point, you know, and cradling the balls, like all that. Like if you're giving him two rounds, that's how much you love Jarrell Miller. If you're giving him two rounds in that fight. So Dubois was that far ahead going into the 12th round. And he said, you know what? I'm going to put a stamp on this performance. And he went for the kill and he got it. Not only did he try to close the show against the guy who didn't want to be stopped. Miller was talking trash right up until the end, right? Oh, that, that don't hurt. That don't hurt. He wanted to survive. Dubois forced him to be stopped. I love that. I love that in heavyweights, especially from a guy that was labeled a quitter. You could almost hear Dubois with every punch he threw saying, F you, F you haters, F you haters. You could just almost hear him and feel him saying that. And it was hard not to just be super happy for the guy after everything he's been through. Um, look, he's had a couple of tough losses. They had a tough loss to Joe Joyce, but he was injured in that fight. I mean, the guy's eye was jacked up. What do you want? And then you lost to Alexander Usyk, who might be an all-time great. We'll find out early next year, but he's certainly a first ballot Hall of Famer and a generational level talent. Losing to Alexander Usyk isn't a big deal. It's it's There's no shame in that, okay? So... so I, get, I just give him tremendous credit, even for like being willing to take a fight like this after that Usyk fight. Not a lot of heavyweights would. Let's be honest. Let's give Danny Dubois some credit. Let's put some respect on his name. Okay, uh, Jai Opataya. Not a whole lot to say about his fight with Elif Zorro, except uh, Opataya is clearly the best cruiserweight in the world. He's explosive. He's athletic. Uh, he's aggressive. I want to see more of him. I want. He hasn't been the most active guy. The IBF stripped him, which is idiotic. Um, and I won't even get into the politics behind that, but I want to see more of him. Very entertaining, fun fighter. Got a great stoppage there. Dimitri Bevel versus Lyndon Arthur. You guys know I'm a Dimitri Bevel fan, okay, as a fighter. Um, but this was, honestly, it, it's going to sound crazy because he won every second of this fight. 120-107, was it? Because I think he got a knockdown. 121073 three times. It's going to sound crazy that I say this, but he had he was the letdown of the night. Crazy to say that, right? He got in 12 rounds of work, and that's great. And he was in there with a guy that was there to survive and was doing everything he could to stick around. I get it. But so was Miller against Dubois. And Dubois got him out of there. And so Bivol just isn't that guy. Um my man Steve Kim tweeted about that, his, his mentality, and I, I quoted it, and I added, you know, and I've talked about this before, Vladimir Klitschko got a lot of uh, hate, particularly from American fans, because he had a mentality of, hey, I'm winning this fight. 
I'm not going to take a stupid risk. I'm winning it. If I win by points, who gives a shit? I'm winning. I'm dominating. I'm controlling every second here. I'm just going to jab the shit out of this guy because he's got nothing more to offer me. If a right hand opens up and I can get him out of there, great. If not, I'm just going to jab the shit out of him and win a 120-108 decision. Vladimir Klitschko had that mentality. He wasn't the only one. There were plenty of guys who had that mentality. <laughs> Floyd Mayweather. Okay, that didn't get the same criticism. I'm just going to put that out there. But Vlad did. Bivol has a lot of Vladimir Klitschko in him. He is so much technically better and athlet more athletic than his opposition and just better in basically every single department. He doesn't need to take a risk to win the fight. The only way he's going to take a risk is if you force him to. If you put some heat on him and force him to step it up, then he will. Other than that, he's just not going to do it. So when he fights lower-tier opposition, Bivol, instead of being more entertaining, he's actually less entertaining. Bivol, guys like Bivol, Klitschko, etc., they're more fun to watch when they actually fight higher levels of opposition rather than lower levels of opposition, which for a lot of fighters out there, it's the complete opposite. Um, but guys with that mentality, it actually works against them to fight lower level dudes. Uh, okay, let's talk about the two main events. Uh, Deontay Wilder, Joseph Parker. Okay, so Joseph Parker wins every second of this fight, beats Deontay Wilder down. I give Deontay Wilder credit for going the distance. I don't think he won... Um, a 10-second sequence in this fight. I don't know how any judge could give him a round, but there were two judges who did, which is pretty insane. But Joseph Parker dominates the fight, 120-108 on my scorecard, and pretty much everyone with half a brain out there. Even if he gave Wilder a round or two, just to, I don't know, give him a Christmas present, a little stocking stuffer. Here's a round, Deontay. Cool. Everyone knew who won the fight. I did find it interesting. I saw some posts on social media. I saw Frank Warren say something about Wilder spending time in a cryo chamber and not being 100% healthy. So like the conspiracies have already begun, which just goes hand in hand with Deontay Wilder and his fans and handlers. Um, and, and then I also saw uh, out there where there were some people that actually thought Wilder won the fight. I, I, I'm not kidding. I, I saw some people saying, those scorecards were ridiculous. They were way too wide. That was a close competitive fight. I have no idea what you people were watching, okay? Um, there, there's just, Deontay Wilder fans are hilarious. They're hilarious. Look, Joseph Parker, I honestly, going back to the preview where I talked about this fight, I picked Wilder by decision. I thought if this thing went 12 rounds and it was remotely competitive, uh, if Wilder was just competitive in a fight, he was going to get a decision. And the, the fact that one judge gave him two rounds kind of leans toward my conspiracy there, my conspiracy theory, that if Wilder just won three or four rounds, he was going to get the nod in this fight. Uh, but what I didn't, I guess what I overrated was the loss that Parker had to Joe Joyce. He took a, a beating in that fight. He got stopped. And Parker's a guy who has a really good chin. So seeing him get stopped was kind of brutal, right? And he has been in some tough fights that went to distance where he took some leather. He's been in with all the top heavyweights. He's fought everybody in this era. It's hard not to be a fan of Joseph Parker, seriously. And I honestly thought after that, I was like, man, I just don't know if he's the same dude. I just don't know if he has enough left. 
maybe that chin that was once one of the best chins in the heavyweight division, maybe the best chin overall in the heavyweight division. Uh, maybe it's it's not the same anymore, and you can crack that chin and get him out of there. You know, I wondered all of that. And because I, I was also thinking about Deontay Wilder's handlers, mainly Shelly Finkel, who, who is very, very carefully manicured and crafted his career, right? The whole narrative. Um, Shelly's been, you know, really, really bad. Deontay Wilder should thank more than anybody on earth, Shelly Finkel and, and Mauricio Suleiman. But I thought they saw something in Parker and were like, okay, let's, this, we'll, we'll be willing to take this risk. Cause this is a guy whose entire career has been spent avoiding the top challenges and kind of cherry picking opposition. Uh, but I was wrong. And, um, look, Wilder's team has screwed up cherry picks. They've had cherry picks gone wrong, right? So so maybe that happened here. I don't know. But Joseph Parker still has a lot left in the tank. Despite the tough fights, despite the really hard living outside the ring, he likes to party with Tyson Fury. You can do the math what that includes, okay? <clears throat> the white girl, right? So he's there's some hard living in between the fights, and he's taking some punishment in the ring. So all that being said, He's still a top heavyweight. He might be a top five heavyweight right now. Seriously. Name five heavyweights better than Joseph Parker right now. Can you? Maybe we can. He's certainly in the top 10. So Deontay Wilder, I think he's done. I think I think he's done. And I think, look, people are going to argue about the level of Deontay Wilder for years. I'll get my thoughts on that in a minute. But at this point, whether it whether you're in the camp that says Wilder was never that good and he was just very, very protected and, and he's managed very well, or you're in the camp of Wilder's an all-time great, hardest puncher in the history of boxing, definitely a top 10 all-time great heavyweight up there with Ali, Joe Lewis, all of them. And the Fury fights just ruined him. Whichever camp you're in, okay, it's clear that it's over. Now, maybe he comes back next year and does another Robert Hellenius type of thing, right? Um, but I, I do find it interesting that a lot of people on social media are saying, oh, man, Wilder's shot now. He's just done. He's shot. You were the same guys when he knocked out Robert Hellenius. You were the same guys saying, Wilder's back. Wild, we need to see a fourth Fury fight. There, some of you were saying that. Admit it. Uh, he's going to decapitate Anthony Joshua. Remember, for years, go back on this channel five, six, seven years, and you will find multiple instances where I said, if and when Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder fight, Anthony Joshua wins, and it won't be that close. I said it multiple freaking times on this channel. Those of you who have followed me know that. Now that narrative is going to be safe for other people out there who like to keep it safe and secure so they can keep their access now they might start saying that in 2024. I've been saying it for a lot longer than that. So um, obviously, I still feel that way. In fact, Anthony Joshua would brutally, savagely knock out Deontay Wilder if they were to fight next year. I have no interest in seeing that. This dude has taken life-altering punishment in the ring. It's clear that it's had some effects on his brain and his personality. I don't want to see him take any more punishment. Deontay has made... Life-changing money. His grandkids will be rich, okay? He's done well with his money. PBC, Al Heyman, does a very good job educating his fighters on how to invest their money. A lot of the PBC guys do very well with their career earnings. They really, really do, okay? Not all, 
but a lot of them do very well. And from all accounts I've heard, Wilder's done well with his money. Yeah, maybe one last fight. It might be really, really cool to see him do like a farewell fight in Alabama where he's from, like in his hometown. That might be a lot of fun. Um, so maybe he can do that. I don't want to see him in there against a top 10 heavyweight. I, I just, I just don't. I really, really don't. Um, okay. Real quick main event, Anthony Joshua, uh, dominates and stops Otto Valine who retires on a stool. A lot of you guys thought Otto Valine was a top heavyweight. Some of you guys had him in your top five because he had a lot of success against Tyson Fury. I'm going to pull up his resume real quick because I just want to see who else he fought. Um, you know, he had that loss to Fury and he won maybe four rounds in that fight. He actually cut Fury, right? He had a, a decision win over Dominic Brazil. He, his biggest win was a split decision win over Murat Gassiev, right? And that was his, his last fight. That was um, just a few months ago. And that was a big upset, right? That was a big, big upset. But Gassiev has been chronically inactive. He's undersized at heavyweight. He doesn't have the skills Usyk has to offset him being so undersized. Really, really inactive and injury prone. So a little bit of smoke and mirrors going on there. Um, but Otto Valin is still a guy that I would put somewhere in the top 10 to 15. He might, he might be top 10, but definitely top 15 or so. But I do find it interesting, and I don't want to be a triangle theory, bro, but I think Anthony Joshua's stock rose heavily this weekend because Joseph Parker, who beat the brakes off Deontay Wilder, and look, Joseph, obviously Wilder's past his peak, right? Obviously. But so is Parker. He's not at his peak either. Now, he's closer. Now, in hindsight, we can see he's closer to his peak than Wilder. Yes, granted. But it's not like this is a prime, undefeated Joseph Parker that Wilder just faced, okay? And Parker beat the brakes off of Wilder. It's not just that he beat him up, because he really didn't beat him up that bad as far as him busting him up and making him bloody and stuff. He outboxed the shit out of Wilder. He just outboxed him. He outcrafted him. He did everything better in every department, including power. Yes, including the right hand. Um, All of it. Joseph Parker is maybe Anthony Joshua's fourth best win, fifth best win. He's his fifth, sixth, seventh best opponent. I think that puts things in perspective. On top of that, Otto Valin, who went the distance and had uh, some real good uh, moments against Tyson Fury, was absolutely dominated by Anthony Joshua. So I think after this weekend, in my personal opinion, Anthony Joshua's stock rose a little bit and his respect rose. And I think Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury's true level dropped a little bit and it was further exposed. Um, and some of the things that I've been saying, and I'm not the only one, there have been plenty of others out there who are willing to tell the truth about those two. Um, it, we were kind of vindicated yet again. and so. Um, that I, I guess that's going to be the theme of this show. And I'm, I'm going to talk for a few more minutes, guys, and then I'll bounce. But um, there's a, there's been um, a lot of indication for some of us this year. But before I get to that, let's talk about the fight this morning in uh, Tokyo, in Japan. Uh, 
Naoya Inouye stopping uh, Marlon Topolis in, what, the 10th round. He dropped him a couple times, uh, gets him out of there, and wins undisputed. And for Naoya Inouye, this is the second undisputed championship within a year. Let me share my screen here. Um, I want to just bring up his resume. I hope you guys can see this. Um, but I'm just going to – I tweeted this this morning. I can't remember the the last time that Inoue lost a round. Now, I'm not talking about some feel-out round or some, you know, gimme round that you give to an opponent that's real close, like a 10-10 round you give to the opponent. I'm talking about a round that he's solidly, decisively, clearly lost. The last time that happened that I can think of, I'm looking here at his resume, was four years ago in November of 2019 against Nonito Donaire. And in that fight, he, he suffered a, a massive facial injury, yet went the distance, won, and almost stopped Donaire. In fact, a lot of people thought that fight should have been stopped at one point, and the ref kind of screwed up the call there. Um, since that point, Inoue has been on an absolute tear. Just an absolute tear, man. Um, let me see. Let me log in here. jeez. Oh, Yeah, of course. Shuts me out. Okay. Let me pull this back up. I wanted to log in so I could see the weights. So Donito Donaire, that was at 118, right? And that was part of the tournament that he fought in where he kind of cleaned out that bantamweight division. Um, and so he ends it up last year. He, he finishes his 118 journey last uh, December against Paul Butler destroys him, gets undisputed, and then immediately moves up to 122 and fights the number one guy in the division, destroys him, fights the number two guy in the division and destroys him. Now, Topolis had a few moments in the fight, I guess you could say, landed a few punches. I think a lot of that was due to, in a way, kind of luring him in to set traps. That's what I saw. Um, I don't think he'd fight the same way against a different type of opponent. I think he realized that's how he had to fight Topolis to get him to open up, and that strategy worked for him. So I, some people were being critical of the performance, which is insane to me. At best, you could give Topolis a round, maybe two if you're trying really, really hard. But this was another complete domination by Inouye. So let's talk about him real quick, man. I, I think Naoya Inouye, with this performance, is the 2023 Fighter of the Year. Now, I know some of you out there want it to be Terrence Crawford. I hear you. Terrence Crawford, if he had one other fight, I could see him. I could it'd be neck and neck, and you could go either way. But guys, he had one fight, and his his win was dominant over Errol Spence. It was for undisputed. It was a very very popular fight in the West, and a lot of these awards with the Western publications, there's definitely um, a bias there to that to, to the way they award these things. But um, I'm just looking at a guy in Inouye who fought twice instead of once, dominated his opposition. Fulton, he got out of there quick. Topolis, he dominated over 10 rounds and completely cleaned out a division, fought the top two guys in just two fights. No tune-up fights, none of it. No negotiations, no A-side, B-side nonsense. He just got it done and cleaned it out. And on top of how he ended the, the, the year last year, I mean, if we're if 
Fight of, fighter of the year is supposed to be the last 12 months. Well, man, if we go back just to last December, he won undisputed in another division. So he accomplished what Crawford did twice in one year. And, and, and Terrence Crawford, yes, he was ducked by PBC, by Heyman, the sanctioning organizations, protected Spence. I, I understand. But in the end, it took him, what, five, six years to get undisputed? And in a way, did it twice in a year, guys. If he's not your 2023 fighter of the year, you just don't know what you're talking about. And I don't want to hear Devin Haney's name either. Devin Haney had a good year, okay? Even if you think he beat Lomachenko, and I know a lot of you out there don't. You think Lomachenko won that fight. Um, but even if you thought he beat Loma, it was really close, seven rounds to five, okay? So a seven rounds to five win over an old, oversized, or undersized Lomachenko, who's really a featherweight fighting a welterweight, um, that isn't the same as what Crawford did and what, um, uh, Inouye did. And then I've heard people mention Gervonta Davis's name, which is hilarious. He beat a B-level guy and then a prospect this year. He was dominant in those performances. Yes. One of the fights was the biggest commercial fight of the year. I get it, but does not compare to what Crawford or Inouye did and Crawford just not active enough. Inouye wins fight of the year. He's also my pound for pound number one guy. If you look at the work Inouye has done over the last three or four years and you compare his level of opposition and the accomplishments, cleaning out not one but two divisions uh, and doing it very, very quickly, there's no other fighter in the sport whose resume comes close right now. In terms of pound for pound, I, you know, everyone's like, you got to have a pound for pound top 10 list. Well, I don't. I just look at who I, who, which fighters I consider to be among the real, true, undoubted first ballot Hall of Famers fighting right now at the absolute top of their game, who are among clearly just a level above. They've separated themselves from all the other fighters in the sport. That is Terrence Crawford, Naomi Inouye, Alexander Usyk, Canelo Alvarez. Those are the four guys. That's it. The other six, if you have to have a top 10, are interchangeable. You could honestly interchange 10 or 15 guys in those other six positions. I'm not interested in that. When I think pound for pound, I think truly elite and separating yourself from the pack. Those are the four guys who have done it. And I'm not so sure Canelo belongs anymore either because he might be past his best, right? But those are the four guys who have done it. Okay, um, 2023. Let me wrap up with this. Just 2023 thoughts. Uh, actually, before I get to that, I had a couple super chats. Let me jump to those. I'm sorry, guys. I skipped over these real quick. Uh, CJ Duncan with the super chat. Thank you so much, bro. He says, tough to run five miles when waking up in silk pajamas. True that. He says, hashtag thank you, Al Heyman. There's a reason Al finally let Wilder walk. He knew he was barbecued chicken. Yeah. It, it, it really speaks volumes, right? Uh, they would not allow him. They they forced Heyman, Watson, Finkel. They forced Wilder to reject $100 million for a three-fight deal over on zone. They kicked Lou DiBello, who was his promoter who negotiated that deal, to the curb after that. Um, that's how much they did not want him to fight on zone, right? And then three seconds after Showtime Boxing is done, He's fighting out the zone and cashing out. Uh, it does. It speaks volumes. Sometimes actions speak louder than words. Robert Palmer with the super chat. Robert Palmer checking in. Thank you so much, man. 
Hope you had a Merry Christmas. He said, uh, should he go in the Hall of Fame? No, but every time he fought, I was tuning in, gave excitement, heavyweight, uh, at heavyweight that lacked in the era before. Hopefully he's been smart with his money to take care of his kid with special needs. I completely agree with you, Robert. And you know what? Um, I'm so glad I'm so glad I got to this comment now because it's a perfect segue into what I wanted to say here uh, about 2023 and, and the heavyweight division and just the, this whole era in general. Okay, first of all, with 2023, um, we were told that this was the best year in the last 50 years of boxing, that this schedule was amazing. It was life-changing. Oh my God. It wasn't. It was good. It was a good year. Uh, but guys, for the, for anyone who grew up in the 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, this year doesn't hold a candle to any of those years. It just is what it is. And <clears throat> yes, we had a big commercial fight between Davis and Garcia. Yes, we had a couple of really important fights, a few really important fights. We had some undisputed fights. Yes, we had some good mid-level matchups, right? But just week to week, month to month, okay, uh, the level of inactivity among the stars Terrence Crawford, one of the best performances. If you want to give him the performance of the year against Errol Spence, okay. He wins that award for 2023. I'll give you that. Terrence Crawford, performance of the year against Errol Spence. He fought once. He fought once. Javante Davis beat Ryan Garcia. What was that, April? It's December. It's been eight months. There's nothing on the calendar. I, I could keep going. Bivol, Dimitri Bivol, coming off a career best win off of Canelo Alvarez last year didn't fight the whole damn year until this December against a B-level opponent. So I, too many inactive fighters. Um, we still didn't get Fury Usyk because Fury continued to duck that fight as long as he could. Um, several things that went wrong, okay? So, so we had a good year. I, I'm not complaining, but was it was it this epic, historic year? No. Uh, we had some really, really big bombshell business. Showtime Boxing, a storied platform, been around for nearly 40 years, uh, was basically bankrupted, and, and, and it ended this year. We saw PBC, Premier Boxing Champions, move to an app after years of telling us they'd never do such a thing, even though they were internationally distributing their fights on the zone, which they called Dead Zone here in America. I don't, Kind of bizarre, but anyway, they moved over to an app. Um, so, so there are some happenings in the business side of it. Top Rank is looking for a buyer. We know Top Rank is looking to sell the company and looking for a buyer, uh, looking to do a deal similar to like what UFC did with Endeavor. We know that's going on right now. Those negotiations are happening. So, like, there's a lot of interesting things going on in and out of the ring. But what I'll remember in 2023 the most is the complete decimation of certain narratives and agendas and grifts that were run on fans for years. Several guys just got exposed for the level that they're at. In my opinion, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury further. I mean, guys, don't forget Fury fought Francis Ngannou. Now, maybe Fury shot the shit after those fights with Wilder. Maybe he is, uh, maybe you just took Ngannou lightly. Maybe he was just never quite as good as advertised. We'll find out. But he got exposed a little bit and embarrassed himself in the entire sport against Francis Ngannou. Deontay Wilder got absolutely owned by Joseph Parker. Demetrius Andrade, 
after years of hearing how he's the boogeyman and everyone's scared to fight him and glove conduct him and Canelo ducked him, right? He finally gets in there with a top-level opponent. He ducked Janibek Alam Kandala. That was mandatory. He ducked him. He vacated the belt, ran up to 168 because David Benavidez would give him more money, and he basically cashed out and got completely exposed. Uh, so Demetrius Andre, that myth blew up. Errol Spence. Uh, Errol Spence, for years, we were told that he was a generational talent, a top five pound-for-pound pound fighter. All the publications had him in their top five pound-for-pound. Pound. We were told he was an all-time great, first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, and we heard for years that he was going to beat the brakes off of Terrence Crawford if and when they fought. And we also heard every excuse in the book for him not to fight Crawford. And finally, when it happened, after years of ducking and maneuvering and managing the guy very, very carefully, he gets in there with Crawford and gets absolutely destroyed. So that entire narrative, I'm going to call it a grift to a certain extent, blew up. And then uh, who else? Who else am I missing here? Stephen Fulton, yeah, there wasn't a whole bunch of a, a much of a myth there. But um, Deontay Wilder, definitely against Joseph Parker. For years, for years, for years. Guys, they didn't just tell us Deontay Wilder was, uh, you know, an athletic heavyweight with a good right hand. They told us he was the hardest puncher in the history of boxing. They told us he had the greatest right hand in all of boxing history. They told us he was an all-time great. They ranked him. PBC on their broadcasts would have graphics comparing Wilder to Ali, Holmes, Klitschko, Joe Lewis, guys on that level. That's who they were comparing him to in terms of number of title defenses and all this, right? Zero nuance provided in comparison to those guys from the past. And um, it was ridiculous at times, right? And he was exposed in those fury fights. And when that blew up, glove gate and there are all these conspiracies and then he gets in there against joseph parker who again say what you will about parker he's clearly clearly the second best opponent of deontay wilder's career undoubtedly okay it's tyson fury joseph parker and then everyone else wilder's fought we were told for years that luis ortiz is the this amazing hall of fame worthy level heavyweight is just being avoided by the top guys. Remember Luis actually turned down a chance to fight for a unified heavyweight championship. He was advised to turn that deal down. Um, that was done for a reason. Okay. Guys in the end, here's what I'll say about Deontay Wilder. My criticisms of him over the years were not aimed at him. They were aimed at the propagandist promoting a narrative that this guy was the second coming of Joe Lewis or Larry Holmes or something. The media, the network, the promoter, and the WBC for colluding with all them to keep that going and protecting this guy for the better part of a decade. I ain't mad at, De I ain't mad at Deontay Wilder. I ain't mad at Tyson Fury. I ain't mad at Errol Spence. These guys are all just doing their thing. They're being themselves and they're uh, doing what they have to do to make money, to put food uh, on the table for their kids, their families. Like, I don't blame them one bit. I'm just looking at the industry. 
just tell us what we have. Just tell the truth about what we have. I tweeted this the other night. I never needed, and this is to Rob Palmer's point uh, that he made earlier. I personally, me, Michael Montero, I never needed Deontay Wilder to be an all-time great, a Hall of Famer, the hardest puncher in the history of boxing to find his fights entertaining and enjoy watching him fight. I enjoyed watching Wilder fight because he was so average and so flawed. In historic terms, Wilder's very mid. He's an average heavyweight title holder at best. He is an over, but here's the thing too, guys. He does have some great uh, qualities about him as a fighter. Wilder had an iron will, no quit in him. He had a very good chin. You, you could hurt him, but his will and his toughness um, kept him in there and he wouldn't quit. He'd, he'd go out, he'd rather die in the ring than quit. So he had, he truly had elite, great level chin, toughness, right? Um, he he had explosive athleticism and quickness at heavyweight, especially in this era. They that made him dangerous for a lot of the level of guys that are out there. Um, it, it made him very very fun to watch. If the promotion and the networks and everyone involved would have just stuck with those things, that's all you needed. There's enough there. There's enough there to make a movie one day. This guy came to, to the sport late. He kind of really had to learn quickly. He started boxing uh, to help take care of his daughter who's special needs, who's handicapped. And by all accounts, he's a wonderful father and, and has been just wonderful to his kids. Completely different at home than he, the image he puts on, uh, on camera. And he overachieved. He, ex he exceeded expectations in a lot of ways. And he won a medal in the Olympics, goes on to win a, a world title and defend that, that championship multiple times. But he was never the guy. He was never a special all-time great level heavyweight. He was managed. His career was manicured. He was protected by the entire apparatus, the WBC, the BWAA, the International Boxing Hall of Fame, which he'll be elected to on the first ballot. Mark my words, timestamp this. They will put him in, okay? Um, that whole machine protected the dude. But despite all of that, it's still a pretty amazing story. And that's all the promotion had to stick with. They didn't have to show us graphics comparing him to Muhammad Ali. They didn't have to lie and say he was the hardest puncher in the history of boxing. They didn't have to lie and say that um, he was an all-time great. They could have just stuck with the true things about him that made him entertaining and interesting. That was enough. And this is where they failed. And in the end, Deontay Wilder's management got him a lot of money, okay? But they could have got him even more. That $100 million deal with the zone. What I'll remember most about Wilder, besides being a fun heavyweight, um, 20 years from now, we won't be talking about him, but it, he had his team had the worst cherry pick of maybe this century. I'm trying to think of a cherry pick that backfired more than the cherry pick of Tyson Fury. If you guys can think of one, let me know. But that was the cherry pick gone wrong of this century, seriously. 
correct me if you again if i'm wrong but they at the time rejected the fight with anthony joshua which would have been for undisputed i've told you guys multiple times that Wilder's team cock-blocked undisputed back in 2014, 2015 with Vladimir Klitschko when he wanted to pay step aside to fight Berman Stavern and Wilder would have got a crack at him. They have held up progress in the heavyweight division for years. And when they turned down Joshua, the thought was, we can fight Fury. He's been inactive. He's been a fat ass. He's you know been coked up and everything outside the ring. But he's still, in the eyes of the purists, the lineal champion. Yeah, he's been uh, stripped. He's been suspended. He's using steroids. We don't give a shit about any of that. We can spin the narrative that he's the lineal champ and we can fight this pasty cracker, take his title. And we are the lineal champion at that point. And then we could go back to the ne negotiating table with Anthony Joshua and say, no, 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 no. You got to fight on our terms because we're the lineal champ. It didn't quite work out. It didn't quite work out. It, it, it went wrong. Okay. And for better or worse, you know, we had some entertaining fights. I really don't think that third fight needed to happen, but um, that's how it all shaked out. Let me just say this and then I'll jump guys. This heavyweight era, it's a lot of fun. There are great personalities. There are great characters. We have characters from America, from England, from Eastern Europe, Ukraine, Russia, from um, China, from New Zealand, from all over the world. We have this really interesting mixture of characters. And none of these guys are great. There might only be one of them that's great, uh, Usyk. But um, it, it's so what? Why, why do we have to make everything the biggest event ever? Why does everything have to be the second coming of Lewis Schmeling II or, or Hagler Hearns or something? Like, why do we always have to make it why can't we just tell the truth about what it is and enjoy these guys for who they are? If Wilder, Zhang, Parker, um, Joshua, uh, Usyk, Fury, these guys all fight each other, I'm going to watch. It's an interesting mixture of characters and styles from all over the world. So, so like, that's enough. It doesn't, we don't have to be like, oh, this guy's Muhammad Ali, the second coming. This guy's Joe Lewis, the second coming. Why do we have to do that? Why can't we just enjoy these guys for who they are? That's my whole thing. And that's where I'm at. That's what I'll leave you guys with. Uh, super chat from Lucas White. Thank you so much, Lucas. I appreciate it, brother. Um, but yeah, th th that's, that's I guess, the, the theme to this show is enjoy what we have for what it is. Stop trying to make it more when you don't need to. There's enough there. There's enough storyline. There's enough personality. And, and, and Robert Palmer was right. You know, the Klitschko era lacked personalities. There were good fighters, very technically sound good fighters in that era, but they didn't have any damn personality. So the era wasn't that fun. This era has a lot of personality. And so that's great. That's all we need. Just enjoy that. Enjoy it for what for what it is, guys. So Naomi Inouye, Fighter of the Year, pound for pound number one. Terrence Crawford with the performance of the year against Errol Spence. 2023, good year. Good year. I wouldn't say it was the best in the last 50 years, um, but good year. But the year to me that narratives got blown up uh, and people such as myself were vindicated multiple times. Um, yeah. 
So that's what I'll remember this year for. All right, guys. Um, happy New Year's. And we'll, um, we'll do it again in 2024. Peace.